0: to Maths on the Move, the podcast from plus.maths.org. I'm Rachel Thomas.
1: And I'm Mariana Freiberger. Throughout the pandemic, we reported loads on the work of epidemiologists, and in particular on the work of the Juniper Modelling Consortium, who we're collaborating with. Now, only because COVID is no longer in the news, there's still work for groups like Juniper to do. First of all, we still need to understand a lot of things about COVID and learn from the pandemic. But also, there are lots of other infectious diseases to investigate. And we need to understand, for example, how climate change affects the spread of those diseases. Or, for example, how to spot outbreaks of diseases when they may be hidden. We found out more about topics like this last week at the annual Juniper Research Meeting.
0: Helena Stage, from the University of Potsdam and Humboldt University of Berlin, gave a fascinating talk about their work on the effects of climate change on diseases that are spread by living things like mosquitoes. Epidemiologists refer to this kind of disease as being spread by vectors, where the vectors would be the mosquitoes in the case of something like malaria or dengue fever, where these diseases are spread through mosquito bites. We spoke to Helena after her talk.
2: The problem is that as climate change progresses more and more regions that previously were inhospitable to vectors of disease are now becoming suitable. And so we're now increasingly finding areas with risks of new diseases that these vectors are bringing along. What's a vector? Give us an example. Yes, so an example of a vector is a mosquito, for example, that could bite you and a result of that bite infect you with malaria or dengue or chikungunya.
1: Mm-hmm. And you you talked in particular about tiger mosquitoes for example who have interesting ways of traveling. Yes, so tiger mosquitoes
2: are quite interesting in that they're a bit larger than your average mosquito and they also really like to hang around humans and so instead of flying on their own to move around they'll get into the back of lorries or on trains or in ferries and they'll actually use that as means of getting around so they're quite lazy in that sense which then gives
1: us problems in how far they can reach. Okay, so give us a sense of where tiger mosquitoes used to live and where they're now invading. So they
2: are originally from subtropical climates. You see them in swathes of Southeast Asia. We now have them in about half of the EU landmass and they're increasingly advancing further north as temperatures rise and humidity allows for them to reproduce.
1: So have we seen cases of, for example, malaria In Europe because of these mosquitoes yet?
2: So tiger mosquitoes themselves do not carry malaria, they carry other diseases like dengue. We are seeing cases of malaria of people traveling in from abroad having had it, but the the diseases that are being transmitted locally by tiger mosquitoes like dengue or chikungunya, we're seeing cases in the tens or hundreds every year. Mm
1: -hmm. And what is your work? What does your work do? What are you trying to figure out with your modeling work?
2: I'm working to understand where these mosquitoes are going to be, how they're going to infect humans and how we can take measures
1: to prevent those diseases from affecting the human population. Mm -hmm. And could you give us just a vague sense of the kind of mathematical model you'd be employing? You were using a diffusion model, is that right?
2: Yes, so there are three parts to the problem in that we need to understand the climate change and the temperature in this issue we need to understand how the mosquitoes are going to travel as a result of this and we need to understand how this affects humans so part of it is statistical work looking at data on rainfall and temperature part of it is then doing a diffusion model and how these mosquitoes are going to invade and then your more typical uh, disease transmission models that people will be familiar with in how the biting process from the vector to the human occurs. Mm -hmm.
1: Could you summarize the results you have you've had so far in terms of when we can expect these mosquitoes to be everywhere and what we might be doing to take precautions?
2: So the mosquitoes are already
1: let's say halfway
2: up through France they aren't making it over the Alps yet because the Alps are very very cold And so they tend to die in the winter in terms of what we can do as humans at the moment just be aware of the fact that mosquitoes can carry diseases and if you've been bitten by a mosquito that looks unusual maybe mention that to a GP if you subsequently have symptoms but this is not an issue that we currently have in the UK at at present the vast majority of the diseases brought on by vectors in Europe are in Southern Europe and the cases that we're seeing in Northern Europe are brought in from people having gone on holiday and come back. But we can probably expect to have to be more aware of this issue in the coming five to ten years. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you.
0: That was Helena Stage talking to Marianne on a very windy day in March at the annual Juniper Research Meeting. Helena was telling us about diseases that are spread by living things like mosquitoes and they had these compelling maps during their talk showing how the areas that are hospitable to these unwelcome disease vectors how these areas are increasing in an alarming way with climate change and they used some fascinating maths to model the possible geographical spread of the disease as these insects move into the new territory. If your disease is transmitted sort of locally by insect bites or by catching the flu directly from another person you interact with, you can definitely expect some kind of local hotspots of infection to occur. You can imagine a map where each point is coloured by the number of cases of a disease day by day. And if an outbreak occurs, then that would appear as a sort of hotspot flaring up in colour on
1: your map. But what if your disease doesn't spread locally like this? What if instead you are trying to spot outbreaks of food poisoning, for example, caused by contamination somewhere in the food chain, say from bacteria in the production of a ready meal? Rachel spoke to Laura Guzman from the University of Warwick on the same windy day at the research meeting and apologies again for the sound. Laura explained that if a disease is caused by contamination in some nationwide food chain, then you could have cases spread all over the country, making it much harder to spot an outbreak when it happens.
3: Sometimes there are outbreaks that might happen because there is an event that happens in a small place at a specific moment in time. But sometimes if the infection's source is something very back in the food chain, that means that this infection that shouldn't be happening might be causing cases in us bigger areas and if you just look at space and time and find things that happen locally then you are not gonna see this so we need another sources of information to try to understand uh, how to detect something that is spread around a bigger area
0: so you had a nice example where say everyone goes to a barbecue and they don't cook the sausages properly they might all get food poisoning at the same time living close to each other but if the food poisoning happens because of something way back in the food chain of a ready meal then people are going to get food, food poisoning at different times at different points around the country.
3: Yes, that might happen or that's a suspicion that something that might happen.
0: So what information are you looking for then to, fo- to spot that kind of infection coming from a problem with the food chain?
3: So one way of doing that, since one assumption is sometimes a bit strong, but if you have the same bacteria and this bacteria is growing slowly, then you might expect that if they come from the same sort of infection, they are going to look quite similar. And for that similarity, genetics might be useful.
1: So how does genetics help you spot whether two cases of a disease are related through a food chain? Well, as
0: bacteria, or indeed anything else, reproduces, its genetic structure slightly changes through sort of random mutations. The genetic structure changes with each generation of bacteria, and some parts of the genetic sequence might change very quickly and some more slowly. So if you sequence the genome of the bacteria causing food poisoning in different patients, which... Lara said researchers had already done for the common bacteria Campylobacter from hospital cases of food poisoning, the genetic sequence of the bacteria in each patient won't be identical to the genetic sequence of the original bacteria that contaminated the food chain, and the genetic sequence of the bacteria won't be exactly the same for the bacteria in each patient, and that's because these bacteria have continued reproducing over time. So Lara and her colleagues have looked at how these genetic changes create a kind of map through genetic space. It sort of looks a bit like a tree with the genetic sequences branching off in different places as they diverge. And they've developed clever ways of measuring when two genetic sequences are close to each other in this genetic space by counting how many genes have changed in these slower moving sections of code. If you map the cases of disease caused by the bacteria in this genetic space, perhaps over time, then you can again spot the hotspots in this genetic map that signal an outbreak. How do you know how similar is similar in genetic sources?
3: Well, that's a really good question. And it's really tricky because sometimes, ideally, you believe if a bacteria has the next generation, it should change just a little bit by some mutations but actually bacteria behave quite more complicated than that and sometimes they change big chunks of their genetics for example in the case of campylobacter this is the bacteria that cause infections uh, gastrointestinal intestinal problems by eating contaminated food or other sources so i'm just mentioning this example that is the one i'm more aware of and i understand they've been studying which genomes are the ones that changed the fastest. And then we decided to use that set of genes in the cases of Campylobacter and I assume that happens with other infections. So, for example, there are genes that will change very slowly, like in human beings, for example, having two arms change slowly. But some of them change very quickly, like for example, uh, if your hair is straight or or is curly. But there are some that are intermediate, genomes, uh, genes that change not that fast and that's the ones that researchers have looked at before and that's the ones we were using based on their research. So
0: I remember in your talk you said you kind of had to build a genetic space and see how close these things were in a kind of genetic space.
3: Yes, that was like a mathematical approximation to try to understand how these genomes change in space. Thank you very much for the questions.
1: That was Laura Guzman talking to Rachel on that windy day in March at the Juniper Research Meeting. Now, Laura was one of the many early career researchers that were present at the meeting. One thing that was very striking about that meeting was that almost all the
0: speakers had started their work with Juniper as a PhD or postdoc researcher in just the last couple of years, and all the sessions were chaired by PhD students, and the senior researchers only got five-minute slots to make elevator pictures for future research ideas.
1: Yeah, that was really nice to see, because as you said, often in these kind of conferences, Um, the senior researchers take center stage and the students and postdocs don't really get that much attention. Um, And the Juniper team confirmed to us that this was done intentionally and it's part of Juniper's work to support and encourage early career researchers to move on to become independent researchers in their own right.
0: all we've got time for in this podcast you can find out more about disease modeling and particularly our work with juniper at plus.maths.org forward slash juniper the music from this podcast was from USA and the track was called plankton you can find their music at soundcloud.com forward slash e-u-s-a thanks for listening and bye for now